0: Good morning, Harvest. Hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel's going to be this morning. Daniel chapter 1. It's uh, one of the, the major prophets, which means it's one of the longer pr- prophetic books in the Old Testament. So do, go kind of the middle of the Old Testament and work your way uh, after Psalms to the right, and you'll get to some of the big books like Isaiah, Ezekiel. Daniel's going to be one of those. If you start hitting the little smaller prophets with the really weird names, come back a bit, and you'll hit Daniel. God was gracious enough when he wrote the Bible to put a table of contents in there, so you could use that too, all right? All right, um, book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1 we're going to be. Hey, before we jump into that, though, just a, a quick announcement that I'm, I'm really excited about. Coming up on March the 4th, we are having a prayer night uh, here, and uh, super excited for that to happen. March the 4th at 7 p.m., um, we're right now working on a prayer guide to, to get out to everybody that you can work through leading up to that date, all right? So there'll be a, a prayer guide you'll get, and there'll be a guide that will work us through, walk us through, what does it look like to, to seek the Lord and in, in repentance? Where are there areas in our hearts that are being revealed in this season? That God's using this difficult season for his good by revealing our hearts. And and then from repentance, how do we move from there to being on mission? So mark that on your calendar. It's going to be an amazing opportunity for us to gather together, to worship, and to pray together. So I want to be sure to get that in front of you before we jumped into the book of Daniel this morning. But I'm so excited to, to start this series it's going to be a two-part series. We're going we're to cover the first part of Daniel, the historical part, uh, chapters 1 to 6 in this series right now called Unshakable. So that's going to be Daniel 1 to 6. When we're done that, we're going to get into the, the prophetic, the, uh, the the parts of Daniel that talk about the future. So chapters 7 to 12, we'll jump into that in a second sermon series, right, following this one. And, and my hope as we unpack this book together, my hope is this, that, that we'd be encouraged, that, that we be exhorted to embrace what does it mean to follow Jesus in our culture? And no matter what the world throws at us, that, that, that in Christ we, we can live differently, we can, we can have this unshakable faith, this unshakable hope in who God is. Because I, I don't know about you, but, but when you look at what this past year has, has looked like, there are a lot of difficult things going on lately that can rob us of hope. We're in difficult days. And I'd even say this, I I would say the trajectory of our culture should be concerning for us. Let me say this. So even as I say that, the trajectory of our culture, do I think that, that the COVID protocols have been put in place? Do I think that means that, that we're a church that's under persecution? I, I think if this is persecution, having to worship in a different way for a, a season because of a, a virus, if this is persecution, it's honestly the weakest form of persecution I've ever seen in church history, all right? So I will say that. If I, if I were to grab Daniel And his crew that are taken off into exile that we're going to see in the book of Dan. If I were to grab him and and bring him to today, drop him into Muskoka this morning, into our church and say, hey man, look what we're going through. We had to do church differently for a season. We we got to wear masks. And he's like, yeah, they, they turned me into a eunuch. They changed my name, my identity. They burned my homeland. They forbid me from praying. They killed anyone who worshiped God instead of the king. But yeah, I get that whole mask thing. Super hard, right? I don't think we're being persecuted. Listen, I do believe that we are, we're having liberties. I do, I do believe that some of our preferences are being pushed on. And I'm not saying that's okay either. I, I'm not saying that it's okay. I, I recognize that it's, it's inconvenient for so many. It's, it's so hard for many. And it's concerning. What's happening is concerning. What's happening in our culture, the trajectory of our culture and where it's going, the impact it'll have on us as a church and as Christ followers, it's concerning. But the question I'm asking, and we started this last Sunday as we're unpacking the book of Amos, the question I'm saying, God, what are you up to? God, what are you revealing about us as Christ followers? How are we living in these times as as representatives of Jesus Christ? That people would look at us and say, those are Christians. Those are little Christs. They have a hope and a way of life and a joy. There's something different about how they're living. And and our day is not as bad as Daniel's day as we're going to read here. But but there's going to be things you're going to see in the book of Daniel that are so familiar to see that our foundations have been shaken. And, and maybe our foundations haven't been fully ripped out from underneath us like they were for Daniel. But man, you can start to see the foundations are cracking. And this season, it's, it's really revealed a lot. I mean, as pastors, we've spent the last couple weeks praying through looking at what has it revealed about some of the weaknesses in the way we do church. It's led us to respond first in repentance. Second, in mission. Okay, if if this is the way our world is in this season and and some things have been revealed about how we do church, we're we're praying and I'm going to tell you this, we're so excited as we're putting together to roll out for us as a church, a a new discipleship plan for us to be able to walk together with Christ and with each other that will hopefully be COVID proof. All right, a way we can do this well. Because we, we see in this season, lives are being shaken, finances are shaken. Marriages are shaken. Families are shaken. But I'll say this it's not just COVID lockdowns and restrictions that would show shaky foundations. Listen, our world is broken. We live in a world that's busted, that's broken, that's sinful. But listen, God God says this. God says in his word that no matter how bad the world gets, even as our culture may be headed towards some dangerous places, God would say this. I have not given you a spirit of fear. God God doesn't want us to huddle up and hide out. He's he's not calling you to just, just hold on for dear life. He's called you. He's equipped you. He's filled you with his spirit to be able to thrive to not be the victim in the world, but, but he's called us to be the, the little heroes in the story. He's the ultimate hero, but he said, listen, you're not victims here. You're called to be a representative, a representative of Christ, to, to reach a lost and hurting world. And I mean really reach a lost world. I mean really believe that God has changed us, that God has transformed us, to really believe that, God, you've equipped us to be able to to demonstrate and declare the good news of the gospel. We can recognize that in this season, we've lost a real easy way of evangelism, which used to be, hey, just invite your neighbor to church on a Sunday, just get them out and we'll pack them in and, and, and... Maybe that's okay that we've lost that for a little bit because, because maybe now we're seeing that God's reminding us that he's called you, to, me, to, to, to step in, to pray with people around us. I mean, really pray. Like, like the person you're sitting with at work and he's talking about the stuff in his life to be able to have the courage to say, hey, can I pray for you and your family? to be able to open up our lives, to be able to step into hard places. My my hope is not in a general sense of I hope that God could change Muskoka for the gospel. My, My hope is this, that we look at God working through Daniel and his life and see this, that God is still at work today in the same way. And this season, he can use, listen, he can use you to transform lives around you. My hope is this, that as a church, as a group of Jesus followers, we would be, we, we would be unshakable no matter what the world throws our way. So, so let's jump in. If you've got your Bibles, open to Daniel. Look, look at Daniel chapter 1. Look at the first seven verses here. Let's start there. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans." The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that the king drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among those were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So let's get caught up with what's happening here. The, the years before this happens here, we're reading about here in Daniel, the nation of Israel had, had split in two, okay? They, they become Israel and Judah. Israel had given up on following God. And, and Isaiah was a prophet around that time. And, and, and he said in Isaiah 520, he said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who call light darkness and darkness light. And what's he saying? He says, a culture's not going to last. You're not going to last. When you take the things that God says, this is good, and you say, no, no, that's evil. You take things that God says, this is evil, and you say, no, 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 they're good. Does it remind you of a culture? Maybe one we're in right now, where you see the things that are being fought for, say, no, this is good, and you can look at it and go, but God calls it evil. Israel had fallen into immorality, into injustice, into into idolatry, where they were seeking everything but God. They were calling evil good and good evil. And so in 720 BC, Israel's wiped out by the Assyrians. The judgment God promised came through. Daniel's growing up in Judah around that time where there were prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Zephaniah. And what are they doing? They're warning Judah with the same warnings that Isaiah gave Israel saying, guys, it's coming for us too. If we keep acting like this, God's going to bring judgment. And so sure enough, here we are in Daniel 1, this wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar. Listen, he... Nebuchadnezzar would make any ruler today look like Mr. Rogers. He was a wicked, evil king. He's a king of this wicked city called Babylon. They, they come into Judah. They destroy the capital city of Jerusalem. They take 25% of the people as prisoners of war. Now, now here's the thing about Babylon. When you, when you read here that Babylon comes in to do this, it was an evil, evil place. It, it was known for its abuse of women and children. They practiced child sacrifice, they had had temple prostitution, it was it was known for its brutality, for its injustice. But the city of Babylon, it, it was more than just a city. That can, in scripture it's it's this metaphor for, for evil. When you read Babylon in Scripture, your, your mind goes to someplace because in Genesis 11 where it got its start by well, the Tower of Babel all the way up until Revelation 18 where it's used to describe a culture that is anti-God. And so when, when the Bible uses the word Babylon, there's a metaphor that, that goes around the whole thing. Kind of like today we would use the phrase Vegas. Well, when, when you say Vegas, you're talking more than just about a city called Las Vegas, Right? we don't say what happens in port sydney stays in port sydney <laughs> right like i'm sure there's a lot of bad things that go on in port sydney nobody says that right but we say what happens in vegas stays in vegas why why Because it represents something. So I would say this, in heaven, when when angels are talking about something that's super bad, they don't say, man, that place is so Sodom and Gomorrah. They don't say, man, that place is so Las Vegas. They don't say, man, that place is so Nazi Germany. They say, that place is just like Babylon. That's what's going on here. Nebuchadnezzar comes in. King of Babylon, it says he takes, verse two says he takes the the vessels of the house of God. He takes those things that God called sacred that were in the temple. He said, this is my stuff. This is stuff that's sacred to me. And, And he takes that stuff, takes it to his own temple as a way to mock God. Saying, you're not so great. Your stuff's in my temple now. I'm in control now. So so there's the setup. There's how bad things are. But look again at verse two, because this is gonna be the the, the theme of our message this morning. We have to get this. Look at verse two. It says, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand. Look at those two words there. In fact, if if you underline stuff in your Bible or highlight on your phone, these are great words to, to highlight. The Lord gave. The Lord gave. I mean, don't miss that. Right from the very beginning, Daniel, as he's writing this out, he wants us to understand this, that Daniel himself understood this to be true as he was in the story he's living out, that Daniel's saying, listen, this book's not about me. This book's about God. This book is about the God who cares for his people by placing Daniel and his three friends in the situation he's placed them in. He's the God who is going to give Daniel favor with this wicked king. He's the God who's going to deliver his three friends from a a furnace of fire. He's the God who's going to shut the mouths of the lions. Listen, the Lord gave. Nothing will make sense in this book of Daniel. And listen, nothing makes sense in our lives if we don't have this foundational truth. God is in control. Even in Babylon, God's in control. God's in control, listen, of who's in control? In our culture today, what's going on in our world right now, God's in control. God God is not up in heaven saying, Gabriel, I'm not really sure anymore, man. What do you think we should do? as we work through the rest of this morning and quickly see how can we be an influence of gospel in our world? How can we change our Babylon without Babylon changing us? We start here. God, you're in control. I mean, Daniel and his buddies, they're they're being indoctrinated in the language and the literature of Babylon. When you look through history, that, that's mostly the occult and astrology. They're, they're being groomed to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. You look, look at the end of chapter 1, verse 21. Look what it says. Daniel was there. He was in Babylon, was there until the first year of King Cyrus. And you look at history, what it says that there is this. Daniel was in Babylon in this horrible place for 70 years. Daniel survived four different administrations. How did he thrive? How how did he transform the world he was placed in? Because listen, we're called to engage with our world. We're not called to hide out. We're not called to do our own little Christian ghetto. We're called to be in the world, to be engaged with those around us without having the world engaging us, changing us, to be in Babylon, but not have Babylon in us. So how do we do it? How do we thrive? Starts here, God is in control. And so what does that look like? Here's our first point. If God's in control, I can live with hope. God is in control, so I live with hope. Listen, we begin to thrive. We we begin to see change in our world as we shine out as people of hope. If we wanna have influence in our culture, in our world, in our workplaces, in our schools... We have to be a hopeful people where where there's a joy and a life about us. So let me ask you this is that what the world sees when the world sees you? At work, do they see people of hope? At at school, do, do they see people of hope? Online, as you post things, do they see people of hope? Now, when I say hope and joy, it doesn't mean we don't experience hurt, we don't experience despair. You think about Jesus as he looked toward at the cross that was coming, as he prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, overwhelmed by the thought of the cross, sweating drops of blood. You think about the apostle Paul who talks about despairing of life and, and being discouraged in ministry. So there are seasons in life where we will feel discouragement. And I know for a fact that this season has been one of those seasons for many people. And scripture calls us as Christ followers to weep with those who weep. To enter into the hurt with people. To not glibly go, well, here's a couple of verses, just be happy. Daniel's not high-fiving his buddies. He's not, he's not doing the, the yellow brick road dance as He's going to Babylon, all right? But in the midst of it, in the midst of, of what would be an unthinkable tragedy, losing his home, Losing his family, losing his name, losing his identity. In the midst of all of that, he knew that he served a God who is in control and a God who's gonna win. I mean, how do we thrive? How, how, do, how do we dare to step out and, and, and be a, an agent of change? How do we thrive when, when the world is the way it is? We, we Listen, we dare to believe that God's in control when you remind yourself that that God's in control, you have the confidence to stay strong in the midst of the darkest times. And and as people around you look in on your life, they begin to ask, man, what do you have that I don't have? I mean, 1 Peter 3.15 says this, we should always have an answer for the hope that's in us. What's that verse mean? It It means you're living in a way that people see your life, hear how you speak, and they're like, man, what's with you? How come you act so differently when, when the rest of the world is the way it is? How come you have such deep joy when I know the illness you're walking through? How is your family so full of hope when man, I know your finances aren't easy? How come you don't seem so upset about masks like everybody else is? Your church is shut down and you still have this weird hope and joy about you. Why is that? That you'd be able to say, because my God is in control. Daniel had that. Daniel knew the hand of God. Daniel knew that panic and despair are never from God. I mean, we're, we're gonna be getting into the last part of the book of Daniel, the chapters seven to 12, and it's the prophecy stuff. And, and a lot of people get jazzed up by, yeah, prophecy, let's do it. We wanna know this, Daniel, Revelation. And, and, and while we dig into that, listen, we can miss why God has these parts in scripture for us. It's not so we can figure out if the locusts in Revelation are Apache helicopters. I'll go to a limb here. They're not, all right? <laughs> The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. The purpose of God's apocalyptic word in scripture, his, his pr- prophetic word of here's what the future, is the purpose of it is this, hope. That, that you can know in the midst of chaos, in the midst of trials, no matter how dark, no matter how deep, we know this, God wins. And if we know that, it, it should change everything about the way we live our lives. When I know my team's going to win, I, I don't care what the score is at the beginning of the game. We win. In fact, I've rewatched some of the games because I'm, I'm a bit of a, a Raptors fan. So I've rewatched some of the games when they, they made it all the way to the finals to win the finals. And, and there was that really cool game, game seven against the Sixers. I don't know if you, if you saw this, but Kawhi Leonard makes this last second buzzer beating shot to win game seven, to send them in to the finals. And, and during the game, while well, you're watching it live, and it was, it was tense, it was crazy. I remember being nervous, I remember, be, I remember being full of stress. I remember wondering, why do I even watch sports? I hate this, right? Just so full of angst and anxiety. But here's the thing, when I rewatch it now, it's very different. Even when I know as the game's getting out of hand, even as, as it looks like the Sixers might win this, I'm like, ah, I love this. I can't wait till that last shot. So knowing that, that this whole thing wraps up in victory. It changes everything for us. It gives us hope. It changes how we do church. It changes how we live our lives in Babylon. You know, I'd always read that, that verse in Matthew where it says that, that Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I always thought it meant no matter what the enemy throws our way as a church, we will be able to withstand it. Like, like, like hold on tight, a storm's coming, but if you just hold on, when the storm passes, oh, you'll be okay. That's not what Jesus was saying at all. When he says the gates of hell will not prevail. Listen, listen. gates are not an offensive weapon. When you go into battle... Right no general ever shouts everybody grab your gates let's go <laughs> Oh no here they come with their gates we're in trouble right it's a picket fence we're no right <laughs> gates are a defensive mechanism right Jesus is not saying whatever the enemy throws at us we can survive listen to what he's saying he's saying whatever we go toward the enemy with he can't hold us back that's a different way of seeing that verse It's not, we'll survive anything. It's this, as we move forward with the gospel, he can't stop us. And that's why even when you feel like you're storming the fires of hell with a squirt gun, and I'm not talking super soaker, I'm talking the kind of squirt guns I had as a kid in the 70s and 80s. Remember those? You push into a kind of squirt sideways and out there and drip all down your hand. That's the kind of gun I feel like I have most often. Even with that, the gates of hell cannot prevail. The gates of hell cannot hold us back as a church. Listen, we win. We win. If if you've given your life to Christ, he has the victory. And as you follow him, you follow him to that victory. And if you want to see influence happening with the way you live our life in this world we find ourselves in, if you want to influence our Babylon for the gospel, you step into the battle with this hope of victory. We move out knowing God's the one who's in control. God controlled who moved next door to me. That person who moved in with seven dogs and all those chickens. Okay, everybody's got chickens now, I'm just kidding, right? God brought that person here. Why? For the gospel. God controls the decision my boss makes at work. God controls the leaders of our nation. God is never out of control, always working. So as as Christians, we ought to be the most calm, faith-filled, joyful people, regardless of what's going on around us. And when the rest of the world is running around like chickens with their heads cut off, running for the edge of the cliff, we can stand there with hope saying, my God's on the throne right now. I'm good. I have hope. God is in control. Not only hope, but here's our second point. God's in control, so I live with humility. I live with humility. When you start to understand that God's the one who's in control, it kind of humbles us, doesn't it? And you begin to see that, that God, at times, it's not so much just about me and how I'm going to. Sometimes God's and I'm bringing this in to reveal your own weak heart. Like the Israelites, I'm taking you through a wilderness to test you, to see what's going on, to to have you inspect, hey, what is your foundation really? And oftentimes we sort of look outward saying, what's this world up to? And God's saying, that's not what I want you to do right now. First of all, I want you to look inward and start with repentance, humble yourself. It's interesting, when we start there, we also start to see, man, I'm a sinner saved by God and humility takes root. God's the one at work and I'm his servant. Humility takes root. I mean, real humility, the kind of humility like Jesus has, where Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew where he had come from. Jesus knew where he was going. And so Jesus could take a bowl and a cloth and wipe the feet of his disciples, even the one he knew would betray him. Real humility is what Philippians says we put the needs of others, the interests of others. We, we consider them more important than our interests. I've heard one guy say it this way. We love to talk about servant leadership as long as nobody treats me like a servant. What Daniel did, you'll find it through the entire book here. It's so incredible. You see Daniel with this very hum- humble, real humble respect for everyone. Because Nebuchadnezzar, this wicked king, we're going to see later on as we track through the story, Nebuchadnezzar has what's coming to him. Nebuchadnezzar, God's judgment is coming on him. God will take him out. And in fact, later in the book, it's Daniel that goes to deliver that message of judgment to Nebuchadnezzar. And what's Daniel do? Does he go, ha, told you it was coming. You dirty, rotten sinner. God's taking you out. No, Daniel comes in humility. You know what he says? He says, I wish it wasn't like this. And you see this heart of God in Daniel where Jesus hasn't called us to be his guard dog protector. He's not looking for us to wipe out his enemies. He's he's looking for us to call sinners to repentance, to win them to new life. You begin to understand grace, begin to influence your world with that same Grace. Daniel and his buddies, they, they begin to have this influence. See, they're, they're captured. They're forced to learn the, the Babylon ways. Their names are changed. And, and those name changes, that's a big deal. You got to understand something. To have your name changed, all their names, their names were their identity. All of their names had a, had a meaning that pointed to the God they served. So a guy like Daniel, his name meaning God is my judge. And they say, yeah, that's not your identity anymore. Now you're Belshazzar, which basically means I'm Satan's prince. And yet, look at verse 8 and 9. Verse 8 says this, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, listen, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. God gave favor to Daniel and his three friends. What does that mean? It means that that the people who were in charge really liked these guys. Why? Because there wasn't a chip on their shoulder. There was a a humility about them. And and that humility can only come when you realize, God, you're in control. I don't need to protect you. I just need to set you loose. And and with that, that hope that they have, with that humility that Daniel has, as he goes, he says, hey, can I ask for a favor from you? As he goes to the king broken, that the king has not repented yet. As he has this kind of humility knowing, God, you're the one in control. Here's our last point this morning. This hope and this humility leads us to this. God's in control so I can live with influence. There's a change that happens with the people around you. There's a change that happens even in our Babylon when we live out this way. So here Daniel and his friends, their names are changed. They're studying all this curriculum but he draws the line with this food thing. In fact, he says in verse 10, Daniel resolved, sorry, in verse eight, Daniel resolved that he wouldn't do this. He said, I'm not gonna eat the food the king provides. Resolve's a strong word. And with humility, he asked for permission to, to do this. Look at verse 10. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So would you endanger my head with the king? The eunuch's like, man, I, I, I do this for you, but, but if you don't get all plump and chubby like the rest of them, I'm the one who gets his head cut off. Look at verse 11. And Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel. So see, Daniel, he's, he's dealing with the right people. He's going, like, I want to talk to the people that are around me. I wanna, with humility, ask them, he said this in verse 12, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let, our, then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So Daniel makes this, this resolve. I'm not gonna do that. Then he, he humbly comes to this, the, the, the chief eunuch. And says, says, Here, here's what I'll do then. How about this? Just give me 10 days. Now, why, why the food? Why resolve over this one and not the other one? I'm not sure why. Some think because maybe the, the food would have been ceremonially unclean, but unfortunately, Daniel 10, Daniel eats the food then, so it probably isn't that. Some suggest maybe this food's been offered to idols, and so Daniel's like, we can't take this. I, 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 what I wonder is this. Might it be a way... That Daniel's saying, listen, I don't want to fully embrace the luxury of Babylon and forget who I really am. I don't want to be wooed over by Babylon and forget that I'm a sojourner. I don't belong here. My my home is somewhere else. I don't want to have this luxurious lifestyle lull me and dull me to the mission God's called me to. I mean, can you get that? Do you get that sometimes in our own culture? How often luxuries dull us to the mission God's called us to. He wanted to remember, this world's not my home. Now, here's the thing, though. He takes the stand with humility. He asked the chief eunuch. Now, why did the chief eunuch listen? I think it's this. If we're going to have influence, and we want to have influence... I think he and his friends had such integrity. Now, for sure, it says God gave him favor, so the Lord's at work, but the, the Bible calls us to be people who are marked by, by godliness and good works. 1 Peter 2, 11 to 12 says it this way, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, so this is not my home, he says, abstain from the passions of the flesh, keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. What's he saying? He's saying this, he's saying, hey, if you're a student in school, then you're the one that works hard you're the one that respects the teachers. You're the one that teachers say, man, I'm glad they're in my class. At your workplace, you're the one that works hard. You're the one that doesn't cut corners. You're the one that lives in a different way where, where, where people are like, man, I love working beside that, that, that person. I, I love the joy she has. I, I love the integrity he has. Where are there areas in your life that are not Christ-like in you? And God's saying, man, I I want you to have influence in Babylon. here's a problem with Daniel's request. If his friends don't look healthy, the eunuch loses his head. And so Daniel gives this idea, hey, let's try this for 10 days. So Daniel found a way, hey, listen, I want to hold on to my conviction, but I, I care about you too. You see Daniel picking his battles wisely. There's so much wisdom here as, he, as he's humble, as he's hopeful, as he wants influence, where he says, God spoke clearly on this one, so I can't do this. So I'm gonna ask, hey, hey, I don't wanna do this. I wanna politely ask that. No, we can't, okay, I get that. How about a 10-day test? And we'll accept the consequences. Here's the thing, at the end of the testing period, sure enough, they look better than everybody else. And the effect of that, look at verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about the king, about which the king inquired of him, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. How often has the message of the gospel been hindered because of how foolish or unwise or unprepared we were to step up with influence for Christ? I mean, pray, God, give me the wisdom. God, give me the hope. God, give me the humility. God, God let me know where I draw the line and then how with gracious conviction to live this out. So let me ask you this as we close. As the worst team comes up, what, why has God placed you where he's placed you in life? I mean, what circumstances do you find yourself in? What, what, what seat at the table have you been given? Like, man, I have influence in this area. What, what crisis has God allowed you to witness or be a part of? And I would say this, don't miss this opportunity to embrace this, this divinely given opportunity to share the gospel, to provide hope, wise counsel, biblical counsel. The days are getting darker and darker. We know this, but here's something I've learned. It was years ago when I was in college, a buddy and I were in Florida for spring break and we had, uh, we'd hitchhiked there, so we did not have money, did not have a car, we did not want to stay in hotels, so we thought, let's just go into the woods a little bit and sleep. Yeah, not smart, right? Okay, so we go in, we, we huddle up in our little sleeping bags, we're asleep in kind of this weird, boggy, foresty, bushy area, and, and as I drift off to sleep, it get, sleep, it gets to be one of them dark nights, like really dark nights. No stars, no cloud, or no, no, no moon, just clouded over pitch black. And, and, and in the distance, I hear this sound. This. It was like, I, know, I was scared, right? The, the sound I heard scared because I'm thinking, I'm in Florida. It's not squirrels that are going to get me, they have alligators here. So I dive into my sleeping bag to pull out this little tiny pen light that I had. Now here's the thing, the guy I had hitchhiked with, he had taken the batteries from my pen light and put them in his, what we used to call a Walkman, kids, all right, and he put them in that to listen to some tunes while we're, and so these batteries were near dead, I turned this light on to shine on the beast that was for sure going to eat us, and it's meh, the weakest of lights, but here's the cool thing, it was so dark that weakest of lights shone wherever that thing was and it scurried, it crushed its way out, right? It, it pfft, took off. Enough light that I wake up my buddy. let's get out of here, man. I'm not sleeping here anymore. Enough light from that stupid little pen light to get us out of the dark forest to where we'd be safe. The darker it gets, the more powerful the tiniest of lights is. So listen, whatever God's asked you to do to the best of your ability, Whether you're a huge, bright halogen light, whether you're a wimpy little pen light, listen, God's going to give you the ability. He's going to give you the influence for how to show others the way out of the dark woods. I love Daniel. I love Daniel. I I, I love how cool the story is. I I think it's so cool about the lion. I think it's so cool about his buddies in the fiery furnace. But I want to tell you what's even more amazing. That God's given us a way to live in Babylon, to thrive, to be used by him, to change a world that nobody would ever think could be changed. Because it's that same God at work in you. That same God in control. Let me pray. Lord God, no matter what we find ourselves in, no matter what darkness we may find ourselves in, Lord God, I thank you that we have a foundation that is sure, that we can recognize that you are in control. And because our foundation is sure, we can step out with a confidence, not a confidence in ourselves, not in our own strength. We get that, that that we are weak little pen lights. But Jesus, you've won the victory. The gates of hell cannot stand against you. And so God, would you send us out of here? Lord, not as people just dying to get back to a worship service together. God, we want that too because the encouragement that is because you call us together to gather, to worship, to be under your word. But God, God, that you would use that as a way to send us out. God, no matter what comes, no matter what our Babylon looks like today and tomorrow, that you're in control and you've called us to be a people of hope, to be a humble gracious, godly influence, God, that many, Lord, I pray this with a, a confidence from your word that many would be saved. God, not in a general sense, but even here in this room, those listening online, that you would send us out. God, I'm reminded what my dad said to me. Don't pray that you give me opportunities. They're already there. Pray that you give me courage, courage, God, the opportunities for influence of the gospel to declare, to demonstrate, they're there. God, give us the courage. Give us the courage to stand on you as our foundation no matter what comes for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Just you stand with me as we sing?